as long as you can build a deep rooted self-confidence um, that's not cockiness, it's mm-hmm. confidence in your own ability, your own preparation, your discipline, um, then it's okay if you don't succeed in that particular tide because the next opportunity, the next tide is coming. Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. And if you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. Chris O'Hare is an Olympic runner and NCAA champion. He competed in the 2016 Olympics in Rio de Janeiro running the 1,500-meter race, as well as six world championships and won three European championship medals. In 2012, while he was running for the University of Tulsa, he was the NCAA champion and set a NCAA indoor mile record time of 3 minutes and 52 seconds. As you can see, Chris is a very accomplished runner, but don't let the stats deceive you from all of the hard work that Chris put in to accomplish those goals. In the show, we dive into Chris's story of growing up in a small town in Scotland, learning to lose, getting a scholarship to run at the University of Tulsa, assessing and adapting, winning the NCAA championship, life as a pro, discipline, the Olympics, and much more. Chris has a great story and a lot of applicable lessons, so be sure to take notes and apply. Everybody, welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. Today, I have a special guest, Chris O'Hare with me. Chris, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, if you wouldn't mind, kind of give our listeners some background into life growing up for you, because uh, you grew up, I don't know if this is even the correct term, but across the pond. So what was that like? And and kind of dive into your childhood growing up. Yeah, it's a big pond. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So grew up in, grew up in Scotland, born and born and raised in Scotland till all the way till I came to the University of Tulsa. Um, Grew up in a small town, not too far outside of Edinburgh, which is the capital city um of scotland um so we always had you know it was a small town we had the small town environment everybody knew each other which was awesome um and but we were also you know we could be in in the major in the center of the the capital city within kind of 30 40 minutes or so which was which was huge especially when we got older and we had sports and everything like that to be able to get into the city it wasn't like an hour drive in or anything like that so it wasn't too bad um yeah i grew up with two two brothers and a sister um super fortunate to grow up in a house with with two loving parents and um and and loving siblings and grandparents and everything like that um it's really you know as i get older and older that you kind of realize how fortunate you i was to 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 have that um and yeah, I mean, I, I didn't, I, I moved to Tulsa when I was 18, I think. Um, and then not, not with the intention of staying forever, but, but here I am. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's awesome. I love that. But you talked a little bit about your parents and having siblings growing up was, was running a part of what your siblings did as well. So it was kind of a thing that you guys did or how did you get into running? What, what how did that become? Yeah. So started running pretty early. I was probably, um, 13 or 14, um, when I kind of began to compete a bit more, um, 
and yeah my older brother kind of ran but not but not really um and then i got into it and he, i kind of dragged the rest of the family in when there's when there's four kids um the younger ones do kind of just get sucked in a little bit into what the older kids are doing and so that's kind of what happened to my my younger sister and younger brother um my younger sister actually ended up coming to the university of tulsa as well um and they you know they had successful running careers too um but it but yeah it was it was nice to always have my older brother to compete against um and you know somebody that's almost three years older than you is always going to be bigger and stronger than you so that was quite quite nice to have that um kind of inner competition um it's very i feel like it's very rare that there's an athlete who makes it close to the top or at the top that doesn't have an older sibling that was there to push them mm-hmm. or a cousin or whatever it may be um so yeah pretty lucky to have to have ryan my older brother to to drive me along the way yeah and what does that look like you know getting into running at a young age and kind of understanding that hey this is something i really enjoy doing and the kind of the preparation, the work that goes into it as you're going through school at a younger age, and then the progression of, you know, going into, uh, you know, high school and then being able to go to college, because you have an interesting story of how you even got to TU and getting into college, college running, uh, which is interesting, but just touching on growing up, you know, when did you start to realize, hey, I want to actually be really good at this and maybe have some opportunity to do it later? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, I was always one of the smallest kids in my class, um, didn't physically develop until quite late. Um, so I, I don't think I won a race until I was 17. Um, you know, I was, I was getting beat up and down the race course or on the track every weekend. Um, and I think that's effectively what led me to, to my, my future success was I learned how to lose, um, you know, and there's, can't tell you how many kids I came across that would would beat the hell out of me on the on the track, and then I would just get closer and closer and closer, and then I would pass them, and then you know once they weren't winning races anymore, they were done with it. They couldn't do it anymore. They didn't have the ability to lose. Um, and I always say to you know to to young athletes or, or anybody really, there's there's two main things that athletes need to succeed, and really I think it's you know applicable in any form of of competition is you need to be coachable and you need to be able to lose you you know you need to be able to lose is different than you need to be fine with losing or happy when you lose no those are different things but you need to be able to lose and not have a complete breakdown or you'll you'll you will lose eventually and and that'll be the end of it um so yeah being the small kid and always losing taught me that kind of discipline over motivation um and just losing week after week after week and just getting closer and closer to the top and then you would move up an age group and then you were right back to the start again um and so yeah i didn't didn't really appreciate until somewhat recently that i did just love i loved the training i loved the sport um and it had nothing to do with winning because i didn't win until i was until i was about 17 years old probably um oh i've you know i won smaller races but the, the big national level races i wasn't winning sure. um and so yeah i was close enough to be clo- close enough to teams where i could almost grab them um but wasn't you know i was always kind of second or third pick or third or fourth pick for the for the team where they only take one or two which um sucks at the time but teaches you 
a lot of valuable lessons. Absolutely. And I think that's a great point of, of learning how to, you know, lose and to fail because I'm curious too, was there something in your upbringing, like your parents or your siblings that as you were maybe losing, uh, even though it wasn't necessarily framed, like, you know, you're a loser, you're losing, you were enjoying the process of doing what you were doing in the training and the running part. So you actually had a passion and were enjoying that. But was there something that they taught you to have maybe a mindset like, Hey, uh, just continue to go through the process and, and keep chipping away and keep chipping away and be disciplined and have a focused mindset on what you want and then try to go each day and get better. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't necessarily remember any specific, you know, conversations or, or tidbits of information that, you know, was a, a breakthrough for me mentally where I was like, I get it now. Eureka. I understand it. It was, it was more just watching them. Um, you know, my parents busted their ass every day and my mom kind of worked all these different jobs. And my dad, you know, was, was more often than not gone before we left, gone before we left for school and, and home after, you know, we were in bed. Um, and so, you know, I saw that sacrifice from him and, and my mom from a very young age. And also, also from my grandparents on both sides, you know, all four of my grandparents were just hardworking people. And so I was just surrounded by hardworking people. Um, and that is way more valuable than anything you can ever read in a book or, or hear in a podcast or watching a movie or whatever it may be, seeing hard work um, and being surrounded by it and really having no other option than to work hard, you know, there was no, there was no trust fund waiting for me or anything like that. So it's, you know, you have to work hard. That is your only option. And when it is your only option, it's a hell of a lot easier. Yeah. I love that. And that's a great point. We'll talk a little bit about your experience of how you got to TU because it's a really fascinating kind of trajectory of how that all came about. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, we, you know, we first heard about, you know, when we first started getting emails and letters from universities in, in the US, we were kind of like, this, that can't, that can't be a thing. This seems like a scam. Um, you know, we were waiting for the, you know, the Nigerian prince to offer us his fortune kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and maybe it is because we come from, we, you know, it, it just doesn't exist in the UK. There's, there's some small bursaries they call them where they give you a couple of thousand bucks a year to, to come and run at their university over a different one, but it's not, you know, you know, the value of that versus the value of a full education travel, all this stuff, gear and everything with, with the NCAA system is, is on parallel. The, the U S is the only place that exists to, to the degree that it does here. Um, and yeah, from, from kind of, we started to piece things together. There were athletes older than me and my training group that started to go out. Um, we ended up talking to a guy in, in, in line at Disney World when we were on on vacation about, you know, the University of Arkansas, which, you know, is one of the biggest track and field programs historically. Um, and so we were like, oh, okay, like, you know, this is a thing. Let's make this, this is, you know, let's make this work. Um because I had no interest in going to university otherwise. Um, and so I think my parents saw it as a, as an opportunity to be like, Oh, this, you know, 
he loves running. We can use running to get him into university <laughs> and hopefully it sees the sees the light at some point to try and, you know, get him out of his uh, troublesome, shall we say, ways. Um, it's a win-win. And so it's a, it's a win-win for everyone. Um, and and so, yeah, we kind of started to dig into it from there. And, and as I mentioned, you know, school wasn't, school wasn't my thing. Um, didn't enjoy it. Spent a lot of time not doing it when I should have been, not being there when I should have been there. Um, fortunately had a lot of, of very good teachers, um, uh, at, at, at my high school that kind of helped keep me out of major trouble. Um, and, and probably told a few lies for me along the way as well. Um, and, and then, yeah. And so, but once I got to university, it was, it was much more, I was doing something that I wanted to do. Um, and I could see that you know, I was older, I was more mature. I could see that actually I've got, got an opportunity here. Let's, let's not, let's not waste it. Yeah. And so what, what came about, like, how did you get up to TU out of all places that you could have ran? Um, yeah, good question. I think, you know, there are so many options. TU was one of the first, um, was one of the first universities that contacted me and, and, and not just that they were persistent. They really were, you know, we, we, we really want you here. Um, whereas a lot of the other programs were like, yeah, we've seen your times, we've seen your races, we'll offer you a scholarship, uh, take it or leave it, whatever. We don't really care. You're going to be one of a, a ma- you're going to be one tiny cog in a massive machine. Um, TU wasn't, wasn't like that. It was, you know, they were, they, they really sold me on, you know, this is, this is a family. We can, we can make this, you're going to be an integral part of this, this family, this program um let's grow together kind of thing um and i i that was you know that was it for me and it, it's just a you know to use a, a, a great academic school it was the, it was the best combination of academics and athletics where i was going to be held to account on the track but also in the classroom um where whereas there are many programs you know i've asked a, a huge number of programs out there where Tutors are taking tests, and um, you know there's no real accountability in the classroom. Uh, and that was, you know, it seemed like a cheat code, and that's just not that's just not the way the O'Hares run their business. <laughs> okay, I love that. Well, had you ever been to Tulsa, Oklahoma, before you first stepped foot on campus for that first semester? I had not. I had not. Um, you know, when we kind of made our decision back then the rules were like you could be on campus for 48 hours and i'm like so i'm gonna fly from edinburgh to tulsa which is like a whole day worth of traveling to be on campus for basically a day and a half before i have to head back to the airport and then a whole nother day traveling back home and it was kind of right in the middle of race season i was like this doesn't seem like a very good idea um and so we we didn't and we just you know we we contacted some of the other athletes that were on that were on the team already and and we kind of took their word for for what it was and and we went for it and and took the risk um and yeah i mean i have no regrets i think you know if i had the opportunity another hundred times i would i would i would take i would choose to you 99 times out of 100. yeah we'll talk to a little bit you just mentioned about you reached out to some of the people that were on the team already how much how important was that to have uh, good teammates and to get to know them a little bit beforehand too. Yeah, it was huge. I mean, it's, you know, I, I was able to get a feel for what people were like 
you know what people were studying what how people trained um before i got there which kind of gave me the opportunity to do some homework and and really kind of dig into the program before social media was really prevalent you know now you could stalk your whole team and yeah. and you know know everything from their middle name to their social security number by the end of the day um <laughs> whereas you know we had social media back in 2008 but it wasn't quite as as intrusive as it is now so um it, it, it gave me the opportunity to kind of do a bit of homework on, on the program before i got here yeah and i think that's a good point because you know being a part of a team in any type of organization obviously the coaches are recruiting but some of the best recruiters are the people on the teams like your teammates because that's who you're going to spend a ton of time with and so that's sometimes um you know sometimes it can be a bad thing sometimes it can be a good thing but that's a part of the process of just being able to find an environment that also, just like you talked about your your siblings kind of having your older brother push you to find people on the team that may be better than you or maybe you're going to push you and to find that environment because that's how you're naturally going to be able to grow. So I thought that was a, a right. pretty good point. Um, when you got to TU, what was it like being your first semester? Because you talked about taking the risk. Are you someone who's naturally a risk taker or how uncomfortable was the experience to jump you know, from home to go all the way across the, the world? and be in Tulsa, Oklahoma, running track. I'm sure that's a different environment. What was that like? And how do you go about like maybe taking risk? And if you're naturally inclined to doing that? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I don't know that I would classify myself as a risk taker. Maybe my wife would, but okay. you know, I, <laughs> I, I, it's not that I take, I very rarely take in what I consider to be silly risks. Um, but I do often just find myself in situations where you after you're like that probably wasn't the best idea um <laughs> but i would hate to live life you know i would i'd much rather live life like that than live it the other way which is you know you you know you, you the opportunity passes you by and you're like ah, i should have done that that would have been really fun or i should have done that 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 would have been good um yeah my first uh you know in terms of training my the the longest run I had ever done before getting to TU was about forty minutes, forty five minutes. Um, first run out in in August in Oklahoma, um, I get lost and <laughs> run. End up being out there for about two hours, and in and August. I was ready to go yeah. home in August. Yeah, uh, and I was ready to go home. Um, and for anybody who anybody listening who doesn't know, August in Oklahoma is harder than hell. Um, yeah. even at eight o'clock in the morning, it's, it's disgustingly hot. So yeah. I definitely wasn't ready for that. Um, and you know, the, my teammates will tell the story, but you know, they, a, a cyclist passed me, uh, as I, once I find my way back to the, the, the Riverside trail, um, a cyclist find me and asked me if I was okay, give me a drink of his water. Um, and then he kind of carried on and, and he was like, you're about a mile and a half away from the car park. You, you know, you'll be, you'll be back in, in no time. And, and then he got up to my teammates who were waiting at the car park thinking like, Oh no, we've just like, we've just lost or killed this, this guy who's on his first run at TU coach is going to be so mad at us. Um, and he was like, yeah, there's a Scottish guy just cussing up a storm down on the trail <laughs> like you, you, you might need to go down and help him and, and anyway I made it back and and they took care of me but um I, I called my mom in tears that that afternoon being like I, I don't know if I could do this and and you know 
and now being a parent, I can't imagine how difficult it was for my mum to be like, you know, to put on a face and be like, you know, you'll be fine, tough, uh, like, like toughen up, you'll be good. Like first day is normal for you to be sad. I'm sure she hung up the phone and, and bawled her eyes out because all she wanted to do was, was come and get me. Either, yeah. Um, but, you know, some advice my uncle gave me, you know, who went into the, the, the Air Force when he was 16 was it's, it's okay to cry. Like, you know, it's okay. Don't, you're not going to, you're not less, you're not less of a man. You're not less of a, a human for, for, for crying. Life's actually easier if you, if you're, if you have a good cry and you, you're able to see it, you know, you get, you let the emotions flood in and then you can kind of process them versus trying to hold them back. And, and things just get worse and worse and worse. Mm. Um. So, so yeah, I mean, tough first 24, 48 hours, but um we got used to it and we got a good story out of it too. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's a great story. But to that, that point that your uncle made is a great point just to be, uh, you know, be, be true to yourself and let your emotions be, be true instead of holding them in, I think is important. Yeah. So talk about a little bit uh, within that first semester to you, you obviously, you got, you got, you got, uh, back on the trail, you found, uh, found your teammates. Um, what was it like? You started to kind of hit a groove and started running well. Um, what was the process look like for you and how did you start to say how oh, I, I can actually compete at a really high level? Yeah, kind of. I mean, you know, I had before I came out to TU, I was, you know, I was kind of competing at a level where I was the, the, the in the top three in the UK. Uh, mm -hmm. So I was already learning to deal with that. But yeah. when you get to the NCAA and it's a completely different ballgame and you're getting smoked by guys on the team who you've never even heard of. And you're like, what's happening here? Um, and so you kind of get a bit of a smack to the face and you have to re-gear. And I, I I struggled with injuries my my whole first year. Came home, um, came home that summer, had a good summer worth of, of um of training and had a pretty good cross country season and indoor track. And we were really training for the five K. I came into TU as a five K guy. Um and coach said, look, let's get you in some indoor miles this year. We'll try and just kind of run fast um, and to kind of overspeed stuff so that the 5K feels slow and we can hit the strength work. We'll be good to go. Mm -hmm. Well, so we kind of trained for that for the mile at indoor season, went to the University of Arkansas, ran a mile. And, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, the four minute barrier of the mile is the kind of the historic, you know, it couldn't be done kind of thing is, you know, it used to be not so much anymore as the Everest of track and field. Um, kind of like running sub 10 for the hundred kind of thing. And, you know, <laughs> I ran, I went and ran 356 yeah. and we were all like, okay, shoot, what, what do we do now? You know, <laughs> you've just ran the second fastest time in the country, qualified for NCAAs in the mile. And then I went to the NCAAs and was second at NCAAs and my first outing at NCAAs um, and coach just kind of looked at me and was like, I, I, I guess, I guess you're a miler. <laughs> I guess you're yeah. a mile guy now. Um, you know, we've got a whole team worth of 5k guys and not very many milers and you're one of the best in the country now. So that's you. You're we'll putting you know, over there. Yeah. Your, your fate is sealed on the mile, um, which I was fine with. And, and, you know, I never actually even rat. What's funny is I never ended up actually even running a 5k in a Tulsa singlet. Really? Um, having been recruited as like a 
as like a 15 you know mile 5k guy and never actually ran a 5k because i was always doing the 800 and, and the mile at uh or 800 and 1500 at conference and, and stuff like that so um yeah it, it kind of happened a little not accidentally obviously but a little bit quick and then it was just that was just me that was there and mm -hmm. then i won the and then i won ncaa's the year after that so then it was kind of like well now you're one of the top guys it's about maintaining it as opposed to um you know trying to get there um yeah but you know fortunately with the depth of the ncaa once you get to the top of the NCAA, you're looking at a world a world scene because it's you know that's the kind of level of competition that you're at, um, and so you kind of switch gears and then you're like, okay, well, how do I get try and get to the top of the world scene and and the NCAA scene is the as the stepping stone to get there. Yeah, and before we dive into that, I just want to touch on a little bit. How does that look from a preparation standpoint, or just because running a 5K is different than uh, a mile as opposed to all these different races you can run i'm sure there's different levels of preparation um from a physical standpoint but also from a mental standpoint too and what does that look like if you can just kind of give some insight into that yeah i mean there's a lot to it we could do a whole podcast yeah. series on the difference of the mile and the 5k but um you know the the two the you know the i think the main mental thing is that the mile is over before you know it. it's a it's a less than Quick. four minute race um or if it takes more than four minutes, you did it It wrong. takes a little more for but, me, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that really have, you know, one or two moves. You have one or two matches to burn. And if you burn them in the wrong spot, hmm. it, the race is over. The 5K, you have a bit more opportunity to be in the wrong spot, get yourself out of it, you know, grind the gears and keep going. Um the mile if you miss a jump you miss the jump and it's gone the race is off the ra race is over for you if you don't have if you're not significantly better than everybody else in the race yeah. um which is obviously pretty rare um and then you know physically it's just a you know much more speed work in the five in the 15 or the mile so you, you you just have to be you have to do more speed work you have to spend a bit more time in the gym 5k is more um tempo running you know longer stuff um just kind of being happy to live at the bottom of the well kind of thing yeah now would you say based upon what you just kind of described when you're pushing your body and your mind in those different elements is one more challenging than the other or are they just different so they're equally challenging but just different yeah they're equally they're equally challenging um they're they are just different um and it really you know it really just depends on exposure to either one um you know if you you know, I spent most of my career running 1500s. So I had, I had kind of pretty much come across every potential tactical yeah. scenario, uh, every, every mental scenario for me, because, you know, whether it be that you had an injury coming in and you weren't feeling all that great, or you, you know, you ate something the night before and your stomach's not feeling that great. So you're just trying to manage that, or you come in and you're in favorite how do you compete when you're the favorite and everybody's got a target on your back and you're just trying to, you know, it feels like it's 11 guys on one and the whole field is against you kind of thing. Um, whereas I didn't run as many 5Ks, so I don't have as much exposure to that. So the 5K for me was always like, just hang on, hang on to the guys who are, who are going to run faster than you and see what you can do kind of thing. Yeah, and that's a good point because you talked a little bit about uh, not having the exposure, not running it much. You're, you're kind of, 
you know, chasing the guys in front. Well, what happens whenever you become the guy that's being chased? Like, how does, how did you, was that a tough transition for you? I mean, it's, it's a good problem to have, <laughs> but was that something yeah. that, okay, well now no one's in front of me. Now I may be leading the pack or, or however that works, but was that a different perspective? Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's tough. You know, it, being the underdog is always the preferred position. Um, um, so being a favorite is a tough, it's a tough position, but you know, I, I had had exposure to it because, you know, when you're competing at the national level, the conference level is a bit easier. Um, and so you're go, you know, when you're an NCAA champ, when you come to the, when you come to conference USA or the American conference, American athletic conference, you you've got all those guys who you've got some guys in that race who've never even made it to an NCAA championship. So they're all just trying to, you know, take your scalp and, 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 you know, that, that would be one of the biggest races of their career. Um, whereas you have other things to think about conference is always is like two weeks before regionals. And then that's one week out from national. So you have to be, I'm trying to run and conserve as much energy as possible. Mm. Um, whereas they're peaking for this event, I'm trying to train through it. So, you know, it does kind of bring our, our ability levels actually brings them closer together. So it's a tighter race because I'm coming into it tired and they're coming into it fresh kind of thing. Mm. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into that too, but, um, you know, that was just kind of planning with coach and, and a lot of mental prep as you, as you come in, um, to try and run through as many potential situations as possible. Um, and, you know, thinking, okay, I might, you know, people are going to try and get in my way. People are going to try and box me in um, and make life difficult for me, which is fine because, and effectively I had to get to the point where, you know, in public, I was like, yeah, it's going to be a hard race. But in my own mind, I was like, it doesn't matter what they do. I'm going to smoke them anyway. Hmm. And, and that was just the way I had to deal with, with that environment because they did make it hard. You know, there's plenty of situations where I won by, two tenths of a second in an 800 because somebody did something. I was like, Oh boy, I was not ready for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you, you go and get it done. Yeah. Well, that's a great point. But before uh, we kind of dive into that too, I, I'd love to hear more about, obviously you, you got to run professionally and you signed with Adidas coming out of college. What did yeah. it look like once you started? Cause I mean, you hit the pinnacle of NCAA athletics where you, you know, you're the champion, right? So now you're going into the, you know, the world perspective. Now you're trying to run, you're trying to get to the Olympics. What did that look like? And how did it, did it change much? I mean, now running is literally your full-time job, no school. You don't have to worry about going to class anymore. So that's a good thing. But what did that look like? Um, it really, you know, it, I actually think it became more difficult um, from just like a daily perspective, because if you think about it, we don't, you know, professional track and field, you don't get, you know, you're not, you know, I use like basketball and as, as an example, you, you play at Duke and then you, you, you know, and then you go sign with an NBA team and then you're thrust into this environment where you've got the best sports nutritionist, the best sports therapist, the best facilities and everything from the NCAA to the professional level is a step up. Whereas in running, you know, I had all this infrastructure around me at, at Tulsa and then I, you know, for immigration purposes too, I had to go back to the UK and I was back in the UK and we're trying to set up this, you know, this high performance environment. And 
it's not as it's not it's it's not i don't have the same facilities like i'm having to jump the fence to get into the track like <laughs> you know stuff like that whereas everything's geared around it so it's actually kind of a step backwards or step downward when you first come into the professional scene um until you kind of get that infrastructure figured out um mm. and i was the you know i was the first athlete to go pro from tulsa ever so we you know it's it's not like we had the exposure to it from other athletes ahead of me that did it and, I, and they were like hey this is what you need to do try this don't do that um yeah and so that was a little bit tricky we had to kind of figure that out for ourselves which was a bit tough but we we we, we did okay yeah well you just touched on going back into your college days some points of being uh, with your coach and being able to kind of assess I wrote down the words assess and adapt because you're sitting there, you're preparing for each race and how you're going to go about it. And obviously the ultimate goal, but even when you go back to, to Scotland, uh, you're having to assess some changes and then adapt to the changes, but make, make a change so that you're prepared for, uh, you know, the, the traje trajectory of your career. Um, what about like the preparation piece? How important is being prepared? Because a lot of these principles that I feel like you utilize in running, are applicable for everybody in life. Um, how important is preparation and why is that key? Yeah, I mean, preparation, I think, is the, the, the initial building block for anything. Um, you know, if you're not prepared, then, you know, you, there's, there's, there's lots of things where you can kind of, quote, unquote, fake it till you make it. Um, and even with excellent preparation, there is an aspect of, faking it till you make it and everything I think um because you will always be asked questions at work or you will always be put in a position and on on the athletics field court track wherever it may be where you're like huh this is new um and the you know it's 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 kind of like that that uh there's a kids movie uh called Inside Out where the yeah. you know it's like a it's like a cartoon depiction of what the brain does and, you know, there's a, there's a few scenes where the, the person just kind of freezes on the outside and inside their the, the characters in the brain are running around like crazy. There's red lights uh -huh. flashing. That's, you know, that happens on a daily basis, right? And we just kind of deal with it. Um, so there's always, you know, even experts in their field are faking it at some point. Um, it probably once a day. Um, <laughs> and so, and it's just kind of human nature to not, look silly right um or not want to look silly um the problem is when you when you use faking it till you make it instead of preparation um and so which happens a lot but preparation is key it really there's really no other way to succeed truly succeed um you might pseudo succeed but to truly succeed you have to prepare for whatever you're trying to succeed in yeah. And you touched on it too, but you know, whenever you do prepare, you prepare as fully as possible, but whenever you do look silly, it kind of goes back to that thing you talked about earlier of, you know, being okay or not being okay with it, but uh, going through losing and failure and just getting back yeah. up. Right. So being prepared when those things happen, you get back up and you keep moving forward. And that's something I want to touch on too, because obviously, you know, for people that don't know you, you became a uh, Olympic runner in 2016 in the Rio Rio games, which is amazing. And obviously, you know, that's like a pinnacle and then you're training to, you know, to, to reach the pinnacle. But was it, 
the thing I love talking about is it is it something that was just an easy glide to get to there? Because a lot of people don't see the behind the scenes work of what it takes and the daily challenges that pop up. Um, and and that's something. Was it something uh, challenging for you to kind of have to prove yourself throughout the process to get there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, you know that's that's part of the problem with your kind of with with the way that all sports I think are depicted on TV, and I think. I think just with gen- in general with with the, the vast majority of the public is that people are so many people have this kind of victim mindset that they just think people who anybody who has anything or has achieved anything was easy um, or they were given it it was handed to them which is just absurd um, and so yeah I mean I I, I you know, I've, I've been to the, for instance, I've been to the dentist and they've, and they've been concerned about me having bulimia because of the wear on my teeth from stomach acid, nothing to do with bulimia. It's because I've pushed myself to the limit too so many times that I can't tell you how many times I've thrown up on the, on the track. Mm. Um, you know, there's been times in my career where I've thrown up on the track at least once a week, um, when you're in the summer and you're just crushing speed work all the time. So you know, people don't see that. Um, they don't see me being away from home. And in 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 2018, I had um, I had my wife and my and my son at home, and I was gone for for almost eight months out of the year collectively. Um, you know, they don't you don't see that on on TV when you're on the start line. Um, you know, and and countless other sacrifices made by me, but also made by a huge amount of people, my wife, my parents, my siblings, you know, so many people have, have sacrificed so much. And so many people have, have, you know, invested so much. Um, and even now in, in, in the business where in the, in the multifamily world, like my team has sacrificed so much to help me learn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my wife's again, sacrificing to, because I'm, I'm at the office late. I'm at the office early. I'm, can't do this can't do that because i'm I'm learning i'm doing I'm, I'm doing deals it's you know it has to be done um and you know you know if i look at my team they they don't want to have to have meetings all the time with me to, to explain stuff and to you know let you know what are we doing this week blah blah, blah. that's time out of their out of their money making ability yeah so i'm um, super fortunate to have such a great team and such a great family and such a great group of friends that have sacrificed so much um, over the years. But, but yeah, it, 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 it makes me mad when, when people who have no idea are like, I, it's like, he had a hat. Like he just, he's just super talented. He just, whatever, you know, like, yeah, you didn't see, you didn't see it when I didn't win a race till I was 17 years old kind of thing. Mm, Yeah. Um, but those are the same people who are not going anywhere. So I'm not too, not too bothered about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you yeah. touched on uh, sacrifice, pushing yourself and then having a team around you because it's not something you do alone. You have people around you consistently uh, encouraging you, pushing you, making you better each day and that are sacrificing too. You both have to sacrifice. And so I think it's an yeah. important lesson because obviously you did reach the pinnacle, um, you know, being Olympian. What was that like? And what was the experience of being able to actually go and run in, in Rio? Yeah, Rio was 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 tough for me actually. Um, you know, I had been dealing with a knee injury coming into Rio, so 
you know, from like six weeks before my race till about three weeks before my race, I really wasn't running that much. Managed to get kind of three weeks of training in before. So it was kind of a crash course of training before um, the games um, just to try and do what I needed to do to see sometimes on my training diary where I could be confident enough. Um, you know, we, we call them feel good, feel good workouts where you're like, you know, that session is not really anything special, but it looks great on paper and it makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you need those, you need those feel good workouts to make you take on the world or your, your toast. Um, and so I struggled with it. Um, and, and having been gone, I'd been gone from, from my wife who was heavily pregnant at the time for, for months. Um, and so she's a hormonal, emotional wreck. And so, and, you know, even though she's doing her best to hide that, you can see it. So it's tough to be away for months. And then I was kind of at a spot where by the time I even got to Rio, I was like, I just want to go home. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a bit of a tough situation, um, having to balance all these negative emotions while also trying my best to take in all the amazing emotions of, of, um, of, of the Olympic games, um, yeah. which is a, a crazy experience. Yeah. Well, that's what people don't see. You know, they get to see you running right. out there on TV. Right. But there's all, a lot of different things that go in because we're all people and we all live life. Right. And we all have right injuries, sacrifices, all these things while you're competing at the highest level. Um, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just thought that was a good point. No, you're good. Um, yeah, it's, um, you know, what, I, and I'm probably stealing one of your questions for later here, but my, my, my favorite quote is, is um, from the tragedy of tragedies of, of Julius Caesar, Shakespeare, it says there's a there's a tide in the affair affairs of men which taken at the flood leads on to fortune um and you know i had that post i i was unhappy with my performance in rio and my my younger brother and i were on copacabana beach just kind of standing in the ocean and ocean and feeling the power of the ocean and it was you know it you know it might sound a bit silly but it did it helped because it felt like I, it was kind of you know not so much washing away the 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 bad feelings but more reminding myself that like this life this sport this career is tidal it's cyclical it's you know there's going to be other opportunities this wasn't my only opportunity um and i came back out of 2016 being you know unhappy in 2017 being my 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 probably my best year of my career um and so instead of you know instead of kind of wallowing for too long i kind of got back on the horse and and tried to ride the next tide into into success yes and i love it that's a great quote and that's a great uh just kind of um visual of what it means and you obviously got to do that the next year real quickly before we wind down um i want to talk about confidence because that's important is when you go through things that are challenging it's easy for people to get dismayed and lose their confidence. How important is continuing to have confidence? And obviously I think a lot of it comes from that preparation you talked about, but how do you go about building confidence and how do you continually maintain and sustain confidence in your opinion? Yeah, I think it, I think it kind of goes back to preparation again. Um, you know, a couple of different things. Preparation is, is, is obviously the most important thing in that, but, but I think, you know, you don't always have to be confident to succeed. 
there will be times where you just have to be disciplined. It's kind of like the discipline versus motivation. You, know, you could you could lump in confidence in there too. Discipline, confidence, and motivation. Discipline's the most important one, um, because there are days where you wake up and you're like, I'm I'm not confident I'm going to be able to do this session or win this race or get through to this prospect I've been trying to get through or close this deal that I've been trying to close. You know, there's a, a lot of the time, I would say probably more often than not, when successful people are trying to succeed, they're not confident that they will. They're, they're confident in their preparation. They're confident in their determination. They're confident in their discipline. They're not confident that the other people are going to do what they want them to do. Um, and so it's, you know, a self-confidence, a, a kind of, as long as you can build a deep rooted self-confidence, um, that's not cockiness, it's confidence in your own ability, your own preparation, your discipline. Um, then it's okay if you don't succeed in that particular tide, because the next opportunity, the next tide is coming. Yes, absolutely. And I love that you touched on that. And it's not an arrogance, but it's like a confident humility about yourself. Uh, not, not, yeah. you know, over the top, but in your preparation to all that, what you just touched on is great. Well, as we wind down to how important is it to be a good husband and father in your opinion? And what have you learned, you know, being a, a husband and father? Uh, more than any, any other kind of stimulus in my life. Um, being a, being a husband is, is amazingly difficult um because you're 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 trying to balance your own emotions which can be tough as well as balancing somebody else's emotions which is even tougher um i think you know i we got married in 2015 and had our son in 2016 um pretty much a year after our, our wedding um so we didn't really get to be a just a husband for all that long um but being a, a husband and a, and a father is, is it's, it's amazing. It's exhausting, but you know, that's, that's one thing that, you know, I, why I consistently push myself is for them. Um, you know, if effectively, you know, I don't pretend to be anything close to a perfect father or a perfect husband, but the, but the thing I know how to do very well is to push myself very hard and, and they are my why I'm pushing myself very hard. Um, and so, so yeah, you just kind of get on with it. And, and, and also to remember that, you know, nobody is perfect. And whilst we see on social media, all these people that look like perfect fathers and perfect husbands and perfect mothers and siblings and whatever, yeah, they suck too. We all yeah. just suck a little bit less from time to time. Yes. Yes. And I think it's a great point that you touched on even earlier in your story about your parents and your grandparents and how impactful they were because you got to watch them and didn't even have to be anything they said. So that example that you said is extremely powerful. So that's something that you get to do as a, as a husband and father now in your life, which I think exactly. is, is really important. Uh, I've got a little fire round for you. Um, so if I'll yep. say a little sentence and you can finish with the word sentence, however you feel led. So you can do nope. anything if. If you're disciplined. Resilience is understanding understanding what it means to succeed versus fail and 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 remembering why you're trying to succeed favorite vacation spot 
uh, Edinburgh now that it's not my home. Yeah. Grit means pushing through when it's it's, it's and when it, when life is at its most difficult. Mm. Do you have a favorite book? Um, probably, probably the tragedies of Julius Caesar, mostly for that quote. Um, mm. to, I mean, it's a play, but the book too, I guess. Um, um, any sports, any sports autobiography or biography, really. Um, I think probably my favorite is is um, John Kavanaugh, Win or Learn. It's uh, Conor McGregor's coach. Um, love him or hate him, Conor McGregor, his coach is a different animal, a different person anyway, but um, that's a, that's definitely worth a read. Awesome. It all comes down to just working hard. Yeah. Awesome. We're done with the fire round. You already touched on the kind of the best piece of advice you've received with that quote. Um, you know, this podcast is called building excellence. What does building excellence mean to you? I think um, building from brick to kind of building brick after brick after brick um, and never being, you know, never being content. Keep just, you have to keep going because you'll get wins and then, you know, you have to build from that win. I think there's, you know, there's a, some, architectural masterpieces like a, a tower a tower in Taipei called the Taipei 101 and it's they've built this tower in one of the most difficult places to build a tower there's just not a good idea right because it's in it's on fault lines they have like 150 mile an hour winds and they built this tower with this 700 odd um, ton ball like three quarters of the way up that acts as a counterbalance you know so it's building the infrastructure that you need because you might live on a fault line. Mm. You might live in a high wind area, whatever those factors in your life that are, they're trying to make it difficult, yeah. build your infrastructure to succeed. Um, and it's going to have to be one brick at a time. And sometimes you get to lay 10 of them at a time. Sometimes you get to lay a hundred of them at a time, but make sure you don't make sure you don't, you know, lay the shiny hollow brick versus the, the uglier, hardworking, yeah. strong brick. Yeah, I love that. That's a great point. I really, that's really interesting. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for sharing your story and, and kind of the lessons you learned and, and not to share the story of not having a victim mentality and then to be pressing into the hard things and, and to have confidence, but at the same time have humility. I think it's a lot of powerful stuff in there. So thank you so much. If people wanted to kind of follow you along your journey and what you're doing today, uh, you know, we didn't get touched on it, but you're training for some Ironmans and stuff. And so it's a different level of training, which, you know, maybe for another time we can talk about that, but uh, what's the best way to kind of follow you and learn more about you? Uh, my, my social media is, uh, I think they're all Chris O'Hare 1500. Um, and, uh, I guess you can just Google me, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Chris, thanks so much for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Hey everyone, it's Bailey Miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend, subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review, or leaving a five-star rating. When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. 
or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.